live on record at the 511. That's 511 Productions, LLC, here at 511 South High Podcast Central. Lawyer Talk, here again with Jared Belinsky, working on the Belinsky Chronicles. Perhaps the most popular Lawyer Talk series to date. For sure. And it's high time, no pun intended, we push through this and uh, take it to the next level. I've had so many people ask me in real time, I just can't wait to find out what happened. What happened? And I just tell them the same thing. Got to wait. There's a lot of cliffhangers out there. And this I think is, my favorite part of the story is the end. Really? I think that's where people are going to get the, the biggest kick. Well, it, you know, there, there's been there's been some some funny stories, some serious stories, some introspective thought, some uh, some tales of redemption, a little bit of uh, regret probably on everybody's part. Um, but I, I, the purpose of all this was to tell the story in a way that shows people it doesn't have to define mistakes don't have to define your life i mean it it becomes part of who you are and we move forward with it and you end up successful in whatever you do if you want to if you want to be successful and you know it's funny jeff you weren't here you're upstairs not down at the 511 production studio i was being a lawyer upstairs yeah, there's a job that we got to worry about. But it, it's, it, we, Jared and I were down here talking, and uh, would you tell me it was eight years today? Nine, nine, nine years today. I, I do believe. I do believe it's today. I, I, we were come down here setting up in the beautiful five one one studio, and I said, Steve, I said, I'm pretty sure it's either. Well, it's either. I think it was either yesterday or today is the first day that we physically met. Day before Fourth of July. And uh, yeah, I do believe because the other day we were having, me and Shorty were having dinner on the patio. We're sitting out there, nice summer night, chirping, fireflies going. It was just, I, we weren't saying anything. And she looks over me and she's like, I forgot. Yes, yesterday was the anniversary. I was like, yesterday's the anniversary. She's like, of, of the raid. And I was like, oh, I, I, I didn't realize it. You know, I, I, I didn't have the day down. That was nine years ago. So nine years ago, if I could, if I had to miss out on that, on that moment, on that night, sitting on the porch with Shorty, hmm. was where I put myself. That been that been horrible. Yeah, hmm. and that's one of those. You know, can you imagine? Because honestly, man, that's that is part of this of what we're trying to do is to get folks to understand that while it was a, it was a fun run and there's some interesting parts of it. And it's uh, there was some, you know, a little bit of uh, bravado at times, but most of that is, is just a way to deal with a real hard scenario, which is you could have missed a huge portion of your life. And then I think the better question is because you didn't, what did you do with it? Right. It's sort of like the, you know, it's like, I think you made some comment that I'm going to circle back to later um, when we started this, but it's like, what, what are you going to do with what you were given now? And uh, n- nothing short of remarkable as we, as we wrap it up towards the end of this on where it went and what you've done, because I think that definitely deserves its own recap. 
And I think it deserves or it demands others who maybe are astray or doing things that are scary or uh, things that can that you're risking your life maybe without even knowing it. Um, to well, it can be anything. Yeah, it can be anything. Um, you know, to realize whether it's hug your kids, kiss your kids, you know, enjoy a dinner with your wife or your family members, or your father or your mother, whatever it is you need to realize those, those can be taken away in an instant. You know, I've had friend even recently, somebody that we know that passed away just out of the, out of the blue, you know, I, what I usually say in meetings and I maybe said on here before, I hope I haven't, but the coolest people I know and the people I respect the most are the people that have been knocked in the dirt and they've stood up and they've rebounded from something. It's not the people that had the silver spoon. It's not the people that had the parents that prepared for their life and they had their bills paid or they had a house that they could inherit from grandma. It's the people that made some choices. Maybe those are bad choices. They looked at themselves in the mirror and they said, okay, no more. I'm not going to do this. and I'm going to rebound from it. And that's where a lot of my respect and love for you, Jared, comes from because I saw you in a, in a dark place. And yeah, we can joke around about it all we want. We can make it, it's, it's cool, it's funny, we can laugh and giggle, but I see the look in your eye right now. And that's that, 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 that was a portion of it. But um, no, you know, some... sitting there and enjoying that night and watching your wife and realizing not, I, I, I dusted myself off. I made a mistake. And I dusted myself off and you should be proud of yourself for that. And you can almost, we can almost rewind the clock and look at it back in those days in like black and white, like you might see on TV, like on a flashback, you know, it's like there we were eight or nine or eight years ago, almost to the day you're coming up uh, from some holding cell down in what Hamilton. Yeah. Butler, 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 Butler County. And coming up here wondering what next. And, you know, we've already told a lot of that tale with uh, Agent X and other stuff and how we did it and, and how some of it works. But it's probably time to push it uh, beyond that. But your first court appearance uh, was sort of to figure out – it's called a detention hearing in federal court. It's like, are you getting out? I mean, what do you think? It's like – That, that – what I was told you – know, here we are the, on this morning. Your name gets called. You get put out. You're with a number of other people. You go from one one cell that you're in, they call your name, you line up, they open another door, you walk outside. Once you get it outside, you lean your forehead against a wall, you put your hands behind your back, and they put bracelets on your on your ankles, and they handcuff you. Now, we're not talking about, like, um, Tiffany bracelets here. No, we're not talking about that. And we're talking about, you know, tight and on your ankles, where you've got no socks, flip-flops, and clothes that don't fit, so you're trying to hold up your pants. And now you're shuffling, you know, down a hall. And you got people that are telling you, you'll be back. Hopefully you get back before dinner. Yeah, they're screwing with you. They're not letting you out. Yeah. They're like, this will probably be your home at least for seven years. Well, it's interesting. I have seen this. And, and here's what here's what fascinates me. And maybe it's a good part of the process. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's certain people are just more prone to, to make comments like this than others. But a lot of law, law enforcement guys will do that. I mean, because getting arrested, and I, it's not happened to me like it's happened to you. So, I, I mean, who am I to put myself in your shoes? But I've watched it, and they strip you of everything. 
Uh, they strip you of your clothing, of your possessions, of anything that makes you feel like who you are. And they put you in their stuff. They put you in their shirts, like you said, that don't fit, their pants that don't fit, their flip-flops and their socks. And they take your dignity away. And they put your head on a wall and cuff you and and, and shuffle you they, out. Because, they strip you down naked. And they do it they, all. They, they put a group of you, a group of uh, into a shower to shower, then inspect, search you, make sure that you have not hidden anything anywhere on you. And they do this with a tone that of where to make you realize where you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's no, it's almost like they're, they're in a, in a, in a, in a shock incarceration type of way, just getting you like, all right, now you're ours, dude. And if you think that you got any say, so if you think you got any Liberty left, if you think that you have your individual individualism left, uh, you're, you're mistaken because now we're in control. And then that's where, you know, I was in court and they bring you out and it, it's, uh, and they just call the case next. And I think Jeff, a lot of times as lawyers, we sort of take this for granted. We take for granted that these guys are clients or gals who have been in custody. It's like the complete unknown of that feeling, that black door that you're walking through. And there's this courtroom with guys in suits and gals in suits and a judge in a big black robe. And, uh, I think it was, uh, 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 it was, who was it? It was, um, King nor King judge or magistrate King. Yeah. Maybe. maybe in your case, I can't recall for sure. I don't, I don't, I don't recall. I, it was a magistrate. This was just, you know, three weeks after my head trauma. Yeah. This is three weeks after an accident. This is, that was when I, the first time I saw you, I was a very scared beat down I was I was not I was not the high man I was I was not I was not I was not a tough guy. None of it's worth it at that point. None of it was worth it at that point. Right. And you lay for three days. The minutes are hours, and you think about it, and you started thinking that, and this is. I walk I walk down. I, I it was so cold, man. It was so cold. Yeah. And I remember because they gave us bag lunches, and then we sat in the hole in the sun. It just, especially here when you get in Columbus, that was just unbelievably cold. I mean, I wasn't the only one. There were guys taking toilet paper, rolling it out, tucking it into their shirts. We were just mm. so cold. I didn't have any socks on. I've got and I had I took two brown paper bags, and I put them on as socks. Man, that's what I walked into the courtroom with. Mm. I think we do take it for granted though, Steve, but I think that's everyone in the system. I think the police are treating you, the jailers are treating you that way because of that. You know, it's like your liberty has been taken away. You've obviously been accused of doing something wrong and it's okay to treat somebody like, like that. And I'm not saying lawyers do that, but I definitely think we get jaded to what our clients are actually going through when they're sitting in a cell like that. We absolutely do. But we forget for a second, right. like that person has to do something to show up. If they're already in jail, they stay and they get transported to prison or they have to report to jail. And the thought of doing that, getting yourself mentally prepared to do that. I mean, we can all tough up at some point and, and get it done. We all would. But it's uh, it's easy to take it for granted when we do it every day. It's mm-hmm. sort of like going to the dentist. They drill teeth every day. When I go get my teeth drilled, I'm just like, this mm-hmm. sucks, man. I, I dread mm-hmm. it. Uh, and this is, uh, that's, this is the dentist times 100. But, you know, 
it, when you show up out there, when you walk out and we're waiting for you, um, you get to see me for the first time. I get to see you for the first time. I've already talked to Shorty. And it, to me, this is a very procedural type hearing. And I knew, and here's what's interesting about this in federal court. I already knew that you were probably getting out. I don't think this was a contested detention hearing in the sense that we had to call witnesses and call, have a big heated argument about whether you should get out. Maybe the prosecutor objected to your release. They might have. But I had a, I, here's what happens in federal court. The pretrial services people do a report. And our federal court here in the Southern District Eastern Division here in Ohio is is really good about this. I mean, they are not going to hold people who shouldn't be held. They're not going to just, they're not going to make people sit in jail uh, who aren't really flight risks otherwise. And uh, you got released that day. And it, it was, I guess we had that argument. We went back and forth. And, but I, I already, I, I knew already that you probably would, but we can't tell you that, right? I can't just say, look, man, you're don't, don't sweat it. You're probably getting out. Uh, it's a formal thing and it's federal court and we treat it very formally when we go there um, because it's respect for the system. It's respect for the justice. It's respect for the court. How long did you sit at first? Sit. How long were you in jail? I do believe it was three days. Just three days. Okay. Three or three. I'm not saying I'm making light of it. It may have been three and a half. Okay. Yeah. And that's when you start thinking too. It's like, all right, you're here. You're here. 30, 31. Yeah. Three days. Yeah. Three very long days. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. And then, you know, you get released. I probably told you what I tell a lot of people. It's like, all right, you need to come see me, but not before you go get a good night's sleep, get yourself a good meal, get yourself a hot shower, go, go become human again, because it just is, it's an inhuman thing to that, be caged up like that. You did that. You, you said that. And as you said it, you laid a hand on my shoulder and you told me this, looked in my eyes and that made me breathe. That was because like, okay. And then it was, but then, then you had the unknown and then you got to start. Right. And it's a whole new thing. And and then you realize that the, 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 the curtain is open. Every, the truth is out, and then you see what you were doing and where you're at in a different way, and you can't turn back the hands of time. And I, I had that meal, and I remember I walked out in front of the yard. My dad's in Kentucky. My mom's in, you know. I think my mom was actually was she coming up? She was going to come up to get a washer and dryer. Something was on sale from Kentucky, and I remember as a night that that was when I got picked up. She went back home. I do believe it's just being shorty. I, I just when I got home, your mind's going crazy, and I walked outside and I sat down in the front ditch, and and I prayed. And I didn't pray to to get out of it. I didn't pray to be like, you know, can, can I just, I'm sorry. I prayed that he would walk with me because I knew that I had a lot to come before mm-hmm. me. And I said, will you 
you know, Lord, will you, will you be with me? Will you walk with me? And give me the ability to get through this. Uh, and I asked on to that. I said, if there's ever a knock on my door from you, I will answer it. Hmm. And I sat there and I stared at the stars and I walked inside and realized that I have a new life and it's time to man up. Man, that's powerful stuff. Hmm. And he did walk with you. He did. You're here today. You know, it's interesting. You know, we, we told the story. We told the story of how we got here. We told the story of uh, some of the funny stuff, some of the, the, the truth the, hurts stuff. But uh, when, you, when you really come down to brass tacks, it's that moment where you realize, I got a nut up here. I got a man up here. Mm-hmm. And this is not the direction I want the rest of my life to go. Because I'll tell you, man, I have dealt with a lot of people over the years in tw- almost 20, uh, 23, 24, almost 25 years now of doing this. Um, who will say something like that. They may even mean it at the time, but it doesn't stick. Hmm. They don't hold up their end of that bargain. They don't say, all right, I know what I have to do to control my end of this. And there's more trouble. There's more whatever coming down. And, you know, as we went through the case and we don't need to rehash it because we already talked about agent X. We talked about dealing with the U S attorneys. We talked about all that. It was all going to culminate to a day in court again where you had to say guilty where you had to say i'm guilty of a federal criminal offense and you know a quick recap uh you met agent x we did all the work up we could with him and the case went on and on Hmm. and on and on but it comes a time when you get a call from the united states attorney that says i'm sending over a plea agreement and we're going to plead guilty now the plea agreement in your case reflected a lot of the, a lot of the situation. I mean, it, look, it puts you as as good as we could possibly get you in a federal criminal case. Um, and leading up to this, it's got to be, it's almost like, do you wish you don't get out and you stay in jail? Because by getting out, you're reminded of the things now you're losing. That, you're that, spending time with family members. That, and, that's funny you say that, Jeff, because I asked myself that. I was like, do I want out? Which I, I did. Well, of course you do. Yeah, I did. But, but so then you go on to pretrial, which the next day after I got out and got showered up, I had to go go down to the federal building and fill out paperwork, talk to them, because now I'm under custody of, of, a, of an officer because if I do something wrong, then I can wait for my sensing date in jail. Yeah. You're, you're I'm, out I'm, on bond. I'm out of, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, good yeah. Yes. You know, and, and that right there starts is when you start really learning the system and really, you know, people, that, people take for granted. And this is my soapbox again about this country because people take for granted what freedom really is. And you got to experience what freedom is not. Freedom is not having somebody tell you where you have to be, when you have to be there. And, what you can do and what you can't do. Freedom is not telling you you have to go get a job and you have to make money. Freedom is not somebody telling you you're not allowed to leave the state of Ohio unless I tell you it's okay to do that. That's not freedom at all. I, I couldn't go up southern. You know, we're in the southern district, so that line goes right across there. I couldn't, I couldn't go too far north of Johnstown. 
Without asking permission. Without asking permission. I couldn't go to Cincinnati. I had to make a phone call every single night to pick a color, and they give you a color. And if your color's called, you have to go down. You're going to have to drop for a drug test. You're going to have to talk to them. And when I got out, I three times a week, three times a week, you got to go down. All right, you're trying to keep a job. You're trying to keep your life together. You're trying to uh, have some sort of order. And then at random intervals, you get to roll down to federal court and take a pee in a cup. And I did own the business, the barbecue, which was there for me. And, but once again, I was in the news. I was in the media. I was in the talk of the town. That's not always the best for a business. Whenever you find out that one of the owners is up to the shenanigans. We had it. We had to talk. We had to punctuate that point here real quick because this was not one of the millions of cases that roll through the system sort of quietly. This got some media attention. There were, uh, you know, there were houses, there were arrests, there was marijuana, there were marijuana plants. It was a. It was in the USA Today. Now it wasn't a big full write up, but the little blurbs, you know, where it says Ohio, Idaho, they're yeah. each their individual write ups. It was there and local papers and the and the local. And you were known locally not as a marijuana guy. You were known locally as the awesome chef who is uh, who's running this barbecue and, and giving back to the community in every way. Not not fall, not fake or not illegitimately. I mean, no, right, that was that, real. That, that was, was all real. that was all real. That was all the real part of it. And there was this other nightlife that was going on, or, or for like a better way to put it, this other alternative life that was going on that people didn't know about. So coming to grips with all that over that period of months, uh, when we finally ended up in a federal courtroom for a plea agreement. And, and the media wave is always like this, Jeff. You know how it goes. It's like it always hits. Mm. There's this huge splash. And the splash sort of dies down and the waves turn into a ripple. Um, but then it comes back at different intervals throughout the case. And one of the intervals that it would come back would be the plea. And there's always people at court, media people, who have it on their radar screen to look for cases that hit the media when they were first arrested so they can circle back and do another story. And then they come back for the next event, do another story. They, they won't let it go. And again, I think that's one of the things as lawyers, we take the media coverage for granted. And some of us, um, you know, it, it's like it, it, no surprise, lawyers don't mind it, right? Because it's some of our marketing to be in, in the big case and to be that person. But it's not lost on us either that it's better to go in the back door when you can. Yeah. You know, it's like you don't want you don't want to be on Front Street necessarily uh, for your client's best interest. But Man, it's a uh, and, and I sh- we should just take an aside. There's an art form to dealing with the media too. When you're when you do criminal defense work, you've got to be careful. You've because you don't want to overstate your case. Um, you've got to be confident because you don't want to look like uh, you got nothing to do or nothing to work with, and your guy or your client is 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 a hopeless cause. Um, and you got to be ethical about it because you're not allowed to mm-hmm. disclose certain things and say certain things. And I watch people like the like uh, even. TV shows where the lawyers are out there grandstanding. And this happens even in real life. And I'm just like, I just don't handle the media that way. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. there's always this confidence, but uh, optimism, but also a little bit of, uh, uh, you gotta be reserved. And well, it's unlike any interview you would do really, because it's like, let's say I'm a professional basketball player. It's like, they're just going to ask you questions about what happened. There's no secret to that. You're being asked questions that the media wants to know about your client personally. How do they feel about this? What do they think about this? Yeah, but this. 
and you have attorney-client privilege there and you have a pending case that you know anything you say, prosecutor's going to hear, the world's going to hear. So you're representing a client that has has trusted you with some of the details the media doesn't know, but still you need to answer those questions because you're standing there and the world's looking at you and you got 15 microphones in your face. It reminds me of my old football days when the other coach of the game that's coming up would say, I'm not worried about that offensive line. They're all freshmen or they're all sophomores or you know, they're, they, they've got a track record of only getting one yard per carry and then your coach puts it up on the wall for the locker room the whole week and you have to look at that. And the analogy is right. It's like, I'm not going to go after the detention hearing and look at the media and say, my client is not guilty. I'm going to yeah. prove it. Mm-hmm. And none of these people should have ever been in his life and blah, blah, blah. And, and you, you come with that thundering BS. And now you've drawn a completely unnecessary line in the sand. And this is why I'm going to get on it sideways again. Um, I have people, my buddies sometimes from out of state say, I need that. I need a real bulldog lawyer and wherever. And I'm like, how do you know what kind of lawyer you need right now? I mean, the fact is, if you want somebody who is just inherently always going to be that way, you don't want that person. If exactly. You, want, so you just don't. Because if your lawyer is an asshole and calls everybody out, then you're going to get the heat for that. Not him or not her. I mean, it's like you got to be careful how you deal with it. And I I learned that from the – from my mentors from day one, from Bill Meeks and Sam Shemansky. It's like you never go out hog wild on something like that. But Well, we've walked into enough prosecutors and the person that's labeled the quote unquote bulldog, if we're talking about a case and they have a case coming up with so-and-so, you can see the look on their face like, oh, here we go. Right. You know, I mean, it's somebody that's difficult to deal with. It doesn't mean they're not a good lawyer, but now the trick there is, is there's a trick. There you go. The trick is this. When you, when you have to square off in the ring for a fight, you have to do it professionally. You have to do it gentlemanly, if you're a gentleman. Um, and you got to do it fairly. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be, that you, you can't fight. You go fight till the death when it's time to do it. But just like pros in the ring go fight, there's a process. It's probably high time we talk about what happened. And what we did, because we went in, and I'm looking at this document right now. It's called Plea Agreement. It says Judge Marbley on it. And it says Jared Blinsky, United States of America versus Jared Blinsky. And we've we've said that before, and that's that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty significant caption to look and have your name on it, I bet. Um but this is where we this is where you were. And it says you're gonna enter a plea guilty to count one of the indictment, which charges him with conspiracy to manufacture more than one hundred marijuana plants in violation of twenty one USC, section eight forty one A one, eight forty one B, one B Sector uh, 7 and then 846. So these are just the basic federal uh, statutes that were violated. And the plea agreement says it flat out. The penalties that may be imposed pursuant to your plea agreement, this is paragraph 2, a mandatory term of imprisonment of five years up to a maximum term of imprisonment of 40 years, a fine of up to 2000 and a four-year term of supervised release. You remember reading that for the first time? <laughs> I remember reading that. I mean, that, it, that, that word that sticks with me is mandatory. 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 You know, I've been practicing federal courts now for a better part of my career. And whenever I hear that mandatory, I'm just like, 
what, what do you do about that? You know, it's like, and, and cause you know, your that means the best I could you. do. That means mandatory. That means that has to be, that means that's what it is. Um, but then it not always is. So there's exceptions like everything else in the, in the rules about how that goes down. And that comes and we stood, then he reads through you more than that. He also lets you know by saying guilty to this, what else in the world is to behold for you is you cannot do this. You cannot do this. You know, you can't run for president. You can't. He lists a whole list of all kinds of things. He said, you are aware of this. You are aware by pleading guilty. You are giving up these rights. I'm going to put, I'm going to put some backdrop to this. We show up in a federal court building and federal court buildings are not like, like cathedrals. I mean, they, they really are. They, they are like, and, and ours is a gorgeous building. I mean, it really is. And, and you're in Judge Marbley's courtroom. And uh, this is the, the big courtroom, so to speak. It's the one that's got the, the flowing velvet uh, drapes. It's got lighting that is less than optimal for anything at all. It's got <laughs> acoustics that really suck. So they have microphones so everybody can hear it. And it is enormous. And it is... Uh, it is intimidating at times, even for the lawyers, because let me just put everybody's just everybody picture this for a second. You walk into this courtroom in the side door and to your left is this huge sort of area behind or in front of the bar, so to speak. The bar, that's why they call people barristers, because there used to be this bar across. And if you're going to go through that, you have to be a barrister, so to speak. So that's the bar. Past the bar. You have to go past the bar to get into uh, the arena where it happens. And there's that area, and then in the back are all the church pews because it is sort of like a like a giant cathedral, and that's where people wait for their cases to get called. And when they when the judge comes in, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance about it, and you hear the gavel hit, you know, hearie, 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 and it, it all happens. Uh, and the judge comes in, everybody stands. There is a quick nod. I don't think they say God, or maybe they do. God save this. But anyway, they do. And I always bow my head to it as a show of respect and um, all you having business, please come forward. And the bailiff calls the case and there might be two or three before yours. I can't remember in your situation, Jared, how many we had to wait through, but I usually like it when there's when we're not first, not for my own personal reasons, but for my client. Reasons. I do recall you, you saying that to me, you're like, good news. There's a few in front, in front of us. And I like it when we're, we're not first. And the reason is it helps you get acclimated as to how it works in there. I was able to watch a number of people plead guilty before me. In uh, unrelated cases, right? Unrelated. Just, just no, no, yeah, it was not, I don't know who they were, you, you know. So what we had done is we had reached this plea agreement with the prosecutor, the, with the assistant United States attorney. And uh, we signed it, met at our office, signed the document, sent it back to him. I actually hand-delivered this. And then we call the court, or the court calls us. And they schedule the plea hearing, and that's what we were there for. And we stu- we walk into this big courtroom. There's other cases being called. And in that particular courtroom, we don't get to sit at a table for most of the hearings. You have to walk up, stand in front of this elevated bench in front of the judge, and he has what's called a meaningful <clears throat> dialogue with you. It probably felt like nothing less than a like a booming uh, almost a, an inquisition, right? You know, it's, it, it, and it's not what you think either. It's like we have those. It's almost like a layer of protection when you're 
giving a speech like a podium or somewhere you can stand. It is open. You were exposed. All exposed. Just Not, standing there. Just you. Eric and I used to say, Yavich and I used to say, when we go to federal court, particularly that in that courtroom, hands at your side, hmm. no notes, no papers, no nothing. Get your get your crap prepared before you go and know it and stand there with respect to the process because that's how uh, I feel it. That's what I feel it demands. So I always stand there, my hands at my side, and I'll use them when I need to to make a point. But generally speaking, you're not the one-armed lawyer with one hand behind your back or the no-armed lawyer with two arms behind your back or I'm not holding a file in front of me out of just some comfort. My hands are at my side and they're not crossed, they're nothing. And um, there's, a, there's a confidence there that you need that only comes from experience and being prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so, psychology to that too, though. There is. You know what I mean? Putting those hands behind your back or at your side, being open, you know what I mean? Not being uh, arms crossed or hands, there's, a, there's, there's something you, to yeah, that. You want, yeah. to be, you want to be shoulders back, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm ready to do the job that needs to be done. Um, you can feel the history in those rooms. That's what I always think. And it's a little intimidating, but you, you can think about what those walls have seen year after year, after year, after year. And it doesn't make you happy as a defendant to be there. But Steve, it's at that point in my career standing there. I remember when I did my first plea and it was something dumb. It was like, uh, no, it was a good case. It was, uh, weren't you there for a, uh, it was a bus case down to Florida for pills. Oh yeah, there was that. But before that I covered something for somebody, I think it was a guy that just re-entered the United States and they were, they were booting him out. And I'm like, what am I covering? I mean, what defense do I have? But I remember standing there and looking around and it's like, you know what? This is, this, this makes you feel like a lawyer. Yeah. No, this makes you feel yeah. like I'm really doing something here. Yeah. And it makes the one yeah, standing makes, you makes me realize feel like on. that this is very serious. It it does and it, it is it is very serious. It's weird when you think of it that way, right? It's like I'm sitting there being proud of myself that I've hit this point in my career, that I'm standing there, I'm respected, I'm doing the right things, I'm talking to a federal judge, and the person that's standing next to me is in the exact opposite shoes. Yeah. That's because no matter what, what I was agreeing to was five to 40, five to 40 mm-hmm. in prison, no matter what. And it said mandatory, mandatory it says mandatory five to 40. So we went through everything that we went through and now we are here to say guilty. And there's some backdrop to this from in a federal practice. But once you start seeing that, because the, the next level up, which is what it could have been, and frankly, uh, was very close to being starts to say things like 10 hmm. or um, even worse, right? It's like a 10 to life or other, you know, or twenties. I mean, it's like th- these things can get very draconian very quickly, but you got, you started with a five to 40, um, five of it mandatory. And then how do we look at a client and say, it's not going to be five years. We can't, I mean, it's like, you can't do it. Although we're thinking maybe just maybe something we can do about that. So explain that Steve. So, mandatory is mandatory. Like if I get a drunk driving, it's mandatory three days or three days in a program. We've talked about that on the DUI 360. So how in federal court, if this says mandatory, could it maybe not be? It maybe not. There's exceptions to it. And everybody in your case decided to cooperate um, and tell you did anyway, to tell truthfully what you were involved in. Um, and that's one of the ways we can get around that. If the U S attorney is going to 
um, file a request for some departures and uh, to bust through that somehow. So there are ways around it, and we took advantage of, or we were hoping to take advantage of one. So we got the plea agreement. We had potential um, departures on our brain. So it's like Jared's holding this document, all these pages, all this legal writing. Lawyers suck when it comes to explaining things, especially on paper. It says mandatory five, and you have to put pen to paper and sign to that. But Steve's saying, don't worry, there's some departures coming. Maybe it'll be less. But you're putting a pen on a paper that says mandatory five. I, mean, I don't I don't recall you saying it may be less. You, I recall you saying we're still working, Jared. We are still working, yeah. You we are still working. Because I – You can't say that I'm going to pull your cancer out. I can't. There's a couple things about this that are important for me to note on the way I I practice law because I firmly believe that feeding my client a bunch of happy horse shit that everything is going to be okay is not the way to practice law. Now, being an asshole to my client and telling them you're screwed and there's nothing we can do is also not the best way to practice law. I believe in a very straightforward, honest approach. And if you're signing a document that says mandatory five years in prison, you sure as hell better be ready to do a mandatory five years in prison. And I'm not going to make it seem like it's something else. Now, I may say there's another possibility out there. We're still working on it. But I would never say, nah, don't worry about that. No big deal. We do this all the time. Because I think that we all learn as young lawyers, whether whether it's a speeding case or whether it's a drunk driving or something where all of a sudden you think it's going one way and the judge just turns on it yep. and says, I'm doing it my way, Sonny. I don't care what you say. Now, that said, you get into federal court, you've got – there's this next thing that maybe is more important to me than anything else or maybe it's more significant in my head. But there is this meaningful dialogue between a federal judge and the client directly about the rights that you have the rights that you are waiving. That means giving up. You are, you have rights as a citizen that you are no longer going to have, and instead you're pleading guilty. And that's like you have a right to a trial. You have a right at that trial to have your attorney represent you. You have a right to a jury trial where you can make or have 12 individuals or however many there are in a particular case that you have, whether it be a misdemeanor or whatever, decide factually whether the government has proven its case beyond a reasonable doubt on each and every element of the charged offenses. You have a right to make them prove it. You have a right to be presumed innocent. I mean, you started, when you walked in that door, you started off innocent. And instead of all that, and you have a right to try to do nothing, right? You can you can remain silent. You can just say, prove it, government. I don't care. Now, somebody, people will say all the time, I don't believe in all these rights that defendants have. Well, these are precious rights. I mean, I hold these sacred. I hold it sacred that I get to cross-examine government witnesses. I hold it sacred that I get to say, screw you, government. We ain't taking the witness stand, and you can't make me nah, nah, nah. You know? It's like when you've been doing what I do, Jeff, or what you do, you appreciate how significant this is, but also how limited it is, and don't take it lightly. When you stand up in front of a judge and say, guilty, I'm waiving my rights, and the judge will make it often seem like it may not be the best thing for you to do. That's how important those rights are. Yeah, these are constitutional rights. Judge Marbley, I, I could, I could sense, and he's a good. I think he's a good man, and he looked at me eye, eye to eye, 
eye to eye, and he, he kind of folded his hands over and, and, and laid it out on me. And he said, you understand this. You have talked to your counsel about this. You know, almost like you want to say, okay, you're right. But in that, it was like once I say the word guilty, immediately, right now before I say it, I still have these rights. Yep. I have them. Once I say guilty, right then and there, guilty, okay, well, now you will abstain from all of those things I just said that before you were, as an American citizen, allowed to do. We now separate you into another category. You are not allowed to do that anymore. To this day. And we will, we will, we will have it registered to where everybody will know that you're not allowed to do this and you are a felon. And that is a huge ordeal in any court, but in federal court. That was a big ordeal. It is almost regal. You and, know? and as I walked out, I started, this is when you start breaking down. Yep. I, I just got something, I, I broke down a bit, and I thought that was the end of the day. Well, hold on, let's not get there yet, because there's a couple things I want to add to this. Is that you're in federal court, and we've talked about it as this big, huge sort of pomp and circumstance environment with with uh, these booming, you know, declarations of rights and all this other stuff. But I want to say this. Nobody will mistreat you in our federal court here anyway. Um, some judges in some state courts will belittle you. Some will say uh, they'll give you a little bit of attitude like it's a judgmental thing, like it's uh, like somehow you're, you're, you're a lesser man or make you feel, make you feel worse than you already do. The way Marbley came across to me, honestly, to to some extent, made me feel better. He didn't treat you anything he, other than a man. He did exactly. Yep. He he he, he treated he was a man. Yep. He, he treated me like a man. He treated you like a like a human being. And like, as I looked at him, I could feel that it's like this man, just by his stature, deserves respect. Yeah. Just by the way I could tell that he treats people. He's a respectful man. You know, my father always said, when you go to vote, you know, vote for the best man. He didn't say vote for this party, that party. He said just vote for, try to pick the best man. And we're saying man because it's Marbley, but obviously it would apply gender across the board. But it's like, this is one of the I didn't want to interrupt the story. Yeah. I was going to say the best person. But. Well, no, Marley, look, it was a man-to-man conversation Marley had with you. If you were a woman, yeah. it would have been a man-to-woman. If he were a woman, it would have been a woman-to-man, right, whatever. But it's it's one of those moments where he is able to, I, I guess, convey the importance of what's going on to you without making a judgment necessarily about your character or making you feel worse than he probably knows you already do. Um, he's not going to contribute beyond what he has to do legally, but what he conveys to you, legally speaking, comes comes across in a very important way. So it's, uh, I don't know if I've said that right. I guess the best way to say it is in other courts where that doesn't happen, judges can treat you very poorly. Mm. And even the lawyers standing next to clients very poorly, like almost look at us snidely. Like, I can't believe you even do this for a living. You yeah. can tell it's some process. <laughs> a, sure. a judge used to be a prosecutor his or her entire life. And they're looking at you like I'm a second class citizen just because I do criminal defense work. And that's what causes a lot of us to sort of become 
defiant for the cause, right? Because you just get sick of, of being judged all the time about what we do. And the reality is what we do is we help people through mm-hmm. their problems, right? That's what we do. And Steve would have probably prepared you for that, but you knew you had marbly. You know, there's times when I have a client and I, I bring him in, I say, listen, this is not going to be an enjoyable process. You know, this particular judge, he's going to beat you down a little bit. He's going to get on you. He's going to ask you direct questions about the dumb choices you made. And, it, you know, with experience, and you've been doing it longer than me, Steve, you know that uh, sometimes you have to prepare, prepare your client for that. But in federal court, you're not going to run into a whole lot of that. No, not in, in this one in particular. It was like, I, we knew. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we knew Marbley was going to treat you well. We knew you were going to be okay. And we knew that uh, he wasn't going to belittle you. But I also knew that it was going to be a significant moment in your life when you're walking out of that courtroom a little bit shell-shocked, even no matter how much you prepare somebody. And the sad part is the process had yet really begun. I mean, we were still we were still rolling on it. And there was a lot more to do. So here's what I think we ought to do next. I think we're going to wrap up this episode of Lawyer Talk, off the record, Belinsky Chronicles. Jared has um, now pled guilty. He's pled guilty. He is subject to a potential mandatory five-year prison sentence, and now we got to figure out sentencing and what really is going to happen. Stay tuned. This is Lawyer Talk, off the record, but on the air. Until now.